The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. So let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, whether that's in paper or digital, and open to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where we will be um, this morning. We're going to walk through really kind of most of the chapter. And uh, this, the, the title of this message is Living in Brokenness. So as you're turning to Genesis 3, um, in, in 1901... Uh, a, a pastor by the name of Maltby Babcock, who lived in Lockport, New York, uh, penned the, the hymn, This Is My Father's World. And uh, uh, Mr. Babcock used to take walks. He would go out and he would walk uh, there in, in upstate New York. And, uh, and from this, this hike through the woods near his home, he could see just incredible views of farms and, and, and orchards and Lake Ontario like 15 miles in the distance. And it's said that from those walks came this hymn because he used to, before he would head out to take those hikes, those walks, he would say something like, I'm going out to see my father's world. I want to share with you just the, the verses of that hymn as we kind of began this morning. Verse 1, he wrote, this is my father's world and to my listening ears, all nature sings, round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand, the wonders wrought. Verse 2, he wrote, This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Now those are beautiful words, extremely poetic. But my question to you this morning is, do those first two verses always fit the song of your life? Are you constantly always ever hearing him rustle past you in, in the grass? Or is, is your life a little different than that? Perhaps for brief moments, you get a chance to steal away from work or whatever the case may be, and you can, you can see creation, and man, it comes to life. There's glory all around you, but those are brief moments. More times than not, our lives are not characterized by that. I mean, there's an AT&T commercial out right now where these husband and wife come into the store, they've got all these kids, and, and uh, there's no more over running over your data, and the woman says... For the first time ever, we'll be in control. And then like that, it flashes back, and these kids are just, I mean, hair in the place apart, right? And that's more like our lives, uh, our lives on, on a normal basis. Our lives are, are hectic. I, I don't know if you remember the list that I gave you two weeks ago when I spoke of God's design and creation. But the list I gave you at the end of that sermon was that we live in a day where couples who struggle to conceive and carry out the fruitful, be, be fruitful and multiply mandate. Uh, are, they struggle with that while there are those who don't want to be pregnant and get pregnant and, and abort the baby. That there, we live in a day where men and women who love relatively healthy lifestyles and, 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 and live to that matter, uh, they get cancer. We have heart disease and Lou Gehrig's disease and cerebral palsy and Down syndrome and MS and ADD and ADHD and Alzheimer's. 
We have house fires and earthquakes and flooding and hurricanes and tornadoes. We have homelessness, poverty, joblessness, bankruptcy. Slavery still exists. Sex trafficking in our world right here in the 85-26 corridor is, is huge. Spouse abuse, child abuse, abuse of the elderly. There's lying, there's fraud, there's disrespected parents, there's unsolved crime, there's terrorism. Everywhere we look, if we turn on the news, we're going to see a world where we don't really feel like singing, this is my father's world. 2016 is definitely not 1901. But even then, Mr. Babcock uh, penned the third verse. In verse three, verse 3, he wrote, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. We have to remember that in this day, we are not where we are going to wind up. This is temporary. Two weeks ago, I told you that it all started with God, that he is eternal, that he is the creator of everything. He's the sovereign ruler of all. He's the holy and righteous judge, that he is love, and on and on and on. We can descri describe his characteristics. All creation was made by him, and it was made for him for the, with the purpose of bringing glory to him, to glorify him, not to add glory to him. You cannot add anything to infinity, but instead to, to be in such a way that it points to his glory. All creation was, was made to glorify him. Human beings were, were made to represent him, to govern creation, to be fruitful and, and to fill the earth with, with worshipers to live in harmony with, with, with God himself, with one another, and with creation. But I ended that message two weeks ago when I said to you, but that's not our experience today, so what went wrong? And I cautioned you and said, I'll give you one caveat that, that God didn't fail. Well, today I want us to look at that brokenness. And I will again just take another firm stance on that. God didn't fail. Instead... The thrust of this message today will be that we turned away. God didn't fail. We turned away. I want to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So follow along with me as I read that. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This morning, I want you to understand why things are the way they are. 
God didn't fail. We turned away. That's the first point. We turned away. Adam and Eve were placed into a perfect world and given the responsibility to govern that world and had intimacy with God, everything working for them. Genesis chapter 2, if you look back a chapter and you read verses 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They were given one rule. One, that's it, one rule. Don't eat of that tree. And, and we can see even the grace of God in the warning. Because if you eat of that tree, you will die. I do not want you to die. Sometimes people, uh, they balk at the idea of that we've turned away, that the, world, the, way the, the reason the world is the way it is is because we have rebelled, we've sinned against God. They look at this passage and they say, what's the big deal? It's just a piece of fruit. This piece of fruit has been, has been misappropriately assigned as an apple or whatever, and, and in, in so doing, we have, we have tried to make this thing very simple. And people say, what's the big deal? It's just a piece of fruit. Shouldn't God want them to know the difference between good and evil anyway? The problem, though, the whole message of that, this section is that the problem was not that God was just withholding from them, that he didn't want them to know the difference between good and evil. The problem was deciding what was good and what was evil. God had already said, all of this is good, but don't go to that because that will lead to evil. And Adam and Eve knew this, and, and God is the only one who can truly say, this is my world. The rest of us are left to sing the Babcock version. This is my father's world. In fact, only those who now are in Christ can sing this is my father's world. It is true that this is God's world, that God gets to call the shots, that God gets to say what is good and what is bad. He alone has that right. But Adam and Eve, here in Genesis 3 rejected God's right to rule over them, and they disobeyed his command. This is not simply about taking a piece of fruit. This is about the will to decide, I will govern myself. It's about rejecting God's sovereign rule. At the heart of all disobedience, I want you to hear this, at the heart of all disobedience is belief in a lie. It may start with smooth deception, it may start with the twisting of God's words. Now, see, look at this in, in verse 1. The serpent comes to uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? We see this character, the serpent, come into the garden, and we wonder, Who in the world is this? Well, the serpent is Satan himself. Satan was a created angel, and he was meant to bring glory to, to glorify, to reflect the glory of his maker, but instead he became filled with pride and he began to believe a lie that he was just as glorious as God and he rebelled himself. He disobeyed himself. And in so doing, he fell from his position. And Satan now, the serpent, comes and he tries to paint God in this very negative light. He tries to paint God as stingy instead of generous. 
harsh instead of gracious, evil instead of good. I mean, he says, did God really say, and, and look at what he does, did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees? He tries to paint God out as being so harsh that he would restrict them and he would hold these things from them. And Eve is right to reply, no, God said we could eat from any of these trees except that one. And she took a little liberty and she added to it and she said, we're not to eat of it or touch it, lest we die. It starts with smooth deception, with the twisting of God's word to, to bring question, to shine doubt on God's word. And that's where disobedience begins. But what starts with smooth deception or the twisting of God's word always culminates in an outright lie. In verse 4, the serpent said to them, Satan said, you will not surely die. Instead, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. This time he's gone from questioning God's word and trying to, in some ways, subtly deceive now he just out and out lies and says you won't die eat it you won't die god's just keeping you in the dark he's holding out on you he doesn't want you to see your full potential he doesn't want any competition at the top he wants to be the big fish in this very small pond it's again trying to paint god in this negative light and in that moment adam and eve were faced with this question Will we trust God enough to obey him? And the reality is, today, you and I are still faced with that question on a daily basis. I mean, you can hear Eve's distrust in her reasoning of verse 6. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, I mean, it's edible. I need calories, right? I need, to, I need to live. And that it was a delight to the eyes. It was beautiful. I mean, it, it was, I mean, I've started trying to eat more fruit. And, and fruit's not something I've ate ever in my life. I hate to be 42-year-old standing here telling you that. But, but now I go into these places, into the produce section, and man, some of this stuff looks incredible to me. I can't imagine what this piece of fruit in the midst of the Garden of Eden. Must have looked like it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. I mean, she just bought the lie. You won't die. He knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened and you will know good and evil like he does. And she, man, I want to be wise. So she takes the fruit and she eats and she also gave some to her husband who was standing by and he also ate Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God that they would determine what was right and what was wrong in that moment we won't trust God we will decide for ourselves I mean this thing's good for food it's beautiful to look at and it will make us wise forget what God said I'm going to do what I want and I would say to you this morning, and I use this language, um, I guess not literally, but figuratively here, Satan is still slithering into people's lives and using the same tactics to lead them into disobedience. 
He's still twisting God's word. He's still casting doubt into people's worldviews. He, he still is attempting to get people to call their own shots and to be their own gods. Satan still whispers lies and speaks half-truths. Satan makes empty promises. And oh, by the way, once you buy his lies and his twisting of God's word and you disobey God only to obey Satan, he doesn't congratulate you. He doesn't show you the truth of his words. Instead, what he does is he turns on you and he begins to heap guilt and condemnation on you. But what you and I need to be aware of is exactly what I told you two weeks ago, that God's ways are perfect, that his design is flawless, but we have turned away. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 1 talks about this, verses like 20 through 20 something, in that section where, man, the glory of God is is visible, it's plain. God's made it clear when we look at creation, it points to Him, but instead, humanity has rejected it. Instead of seeing what the creation was meant to point to, we have severed that and decided to make the creation what we would worship. This is why everything that you and I experience today will at times be broken. We have turned away. And now, the second point of this sermon, we live in brokenness. We live in brokenness. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, death enters the world for the first time. So death spread to all men because all sinned. I want to trace the impact of their decision to rebel against God through the rest of this book. And I'll point it out to you. Verses 7 through 10, Adam and Eve were plagued by a need to hide due to a new sensation of guilt and shame. In verses 7 through 10, look at it. The Bible says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. For the first time ever in the world, in creation, man, God's creation meant to have intimate fellowship with him is now hiding from him. He's, he's aware of his nakedness. Chapter 2, verse 25 talks about Adam and Eve. They knew they were naked, but they were not ashamed. All of a sudden, they disobey. They reject God's rule over them, and they are aware, and they are trying to cover themselves up, trying to hide themselves, trying to escape God's view. And, and by the way, let me just tell you, this disobedience is the root cause of every religion that has ever been created, that's ever been dreamed up. Every religion out there is this attempt. It's, it's an awareness 
of not being right with God, and so I must do something to get to him, to make myself appealing to him again. And every single religion, every one of them, attempts to put fig leaves and to cover themselves up. Also there in verses 11 through 13, they became self-centered and refused to take personal responsibility. Uh, Look at it there, verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I mean, Adam, who had been in perfect harmony, never a fight, never an ill word, perfect harmony, the way God had designed the male-female relationship in the context of marriage to work, all of a sudden throws his wife under the bus. What's this you've done, Adam? Have you eaten of this tree? Wasn't me, it was the woman you gave me, right? And how do you think that went for him later on that night? can't believe you threw me under the bus in front of God, in front of God, you know. But what does she do? Eve, what's this you've done? It was the serpent. You made the serpent, God. For the first time ever, ever in creation, their focus turns inward. And they will preserve themselves at any cost. I will step on whoever I need to step on. I will accuse whoever I need to accuse. Just so long as I don't have to take the responsibility. In fact, I'll even blame you, God. It was that woman who you gave me. In verses 14 and 15, even the animals become cursed. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The serpent goes from being most crafty to most cursed. But it's not just the serpent, it's all of the animal kingdom. If you notice there in verse 14, the serpent is told, cursed are you above all other animals, implying that all of the other animals had now been brought into this curse as well. That Adam and Eve's deception, their their disobedience had led to the animal kingdom, the ones that had, had paraded themselves in front of Adam for him to give names to would now turn against him. For the first time ever, ever, animals killed one another for food. For the first time ever, animals died. And if you think about animals in our context today, even something like a mosquito. There are parts of the world where mosquitoes are deadly. We all know the Olympics we just watched with the Zika virus and how many backed out of that because of the Zika virus. There are places in the world where mosquitoes carry things like malaria that kill people on a daily basis. I had to get a new garbage can yesterday outside of my house because the garbage cans that I had had gotten a hole in the bottom of them and, and the fire ants, man, were just coming up all through and, man, it was like picnic 24-7 at the Oval Household, you know? 
and, and I'm going in and I take the garbage can, the lid off, and I put my garbage in there and I put the lid back on and I'm covered with fire ants. Now, if you live in South Carolina very long, you know this, right? I mean, those little little jokers, I mean, they're tiny, but man, will they give a, a, a wallop, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh, but I'm six foot three tall. I consider myself to be fairly masculine. And I'm in my driveway dancing around like I don't know what's happened. Because this stupid little fire ant has just lit me up. And it's, it's Eve's fault. <laughs> right? The animals become cursed. In, in verse 16, the woman is cursed at the point of God's design for her. Look at verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You, you, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The woman was to be the life giver. She was the mother of all living. This is where her name even comes from. That would not be taken away. She would still give birth. But no longer would that process that should have been natural and pleasant be that way. Now it would be filled with pain. Not only the physical pain of labor, but also emotional pain. The emotional pain of infertility, of miscarriage, of postpartum depression, of, of babies who are born stillborn, of wayward children as they grow, of, of bickering and fighting among siblings. We look forward, we look to chapter 4, and we see Cain and Abel and how their jealousy of one another led to the first murder in history. And, and we look at that and we say, man, look at, the, look at the pain that that brought to Abel. But behind all of that is a mother's pain. And now implied in this curse is all of this pain that would come. Not only pain in childbearing, but the harmony between her and her husband would be forever fractured. A, a new struggle for leadership would, would develop within the marriage. God had designed the marriage in such a way that the husband would be the, the head of the home. And, and we, I don't want to get into this because this causes some to bristle, but this is God's design. God has created both man and woman equal, but given them distinct roles and this was how it was meant to function but now there will be a struggle for leadership in the marriage and this happens on both sides there is an, an inordinate desire to rule on the part of the woman but there's also at times domineering rule on the part of the man Sometimes, I'll just take a side note, a timeout here if, if I can. Football started so I can do that. Um, sometimes wives will step into that leadership role because the husband is not stepping up and doing what God's designed him to do. Nevertheless, the reason we have all of this is because of this disobedience in the garden. Timing. In verses 17 through 19, the man's also cursed at his point of God's design for him. In verses 17 through 19, 
God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till, you're, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Man was always charged with the responsibility to govern God's creation. In verse chapter 2, verse 15, he, he's, he's put there for that reason. This is why we know that, that work in itself is not a result of the fall. The reason you get up and go to work and have to earn a paycheck is not because Adam and Eve sinned. God had ordained work before the fall. So work can be, should be, worship. But now, the creation would work against him. No more, no more would the garden that simply produced an abundance of things work that way. Now, Work would become painful and exhausting. Instead of growing the things that Adam wanted it to grow, it would be more adept at growing thorns and thistles, weeds and dandelions. I don't know if there were fire ants in the garden, but maybe they were there too. Not only that, but God said to Adam, now work will take on this, this negative connotation for you, and it will not stop until you die. He says to him there in, the, there in verse 19 that you'll eventually return to the dust. I mean, my mom and dad are in their 70s now, and, and uh, my dad's just retired again. This is like the third time he's retired, you know, since he retired and, and all this. And, and he still works so hard. And the reality is we will work and work and work, but eventually we will return to the dust. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So for the first time ever, it's not just animals who die, but people now die. God had said, you eat of that tree in the middle of the garden, and you will die. And this is exactly what's taking place. With death came murder, disease, tragedy, aging, And then in verses 22 through 24, perhaps the worst curse of all, they were expelled from fellowship with God in the garden. Look at verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in, in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and, and with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God had made them to have this uninterrupted, intimate fellowship with God. And now the decision had caused them to be expelled from that. It's not just leaving the neighborhood, it's leaving God in so many ways. And we'll get into more of this as we go next week, we live in, in rescue, but for the first time ever, man became homeless. 
He was cast out into an uncertain and a dangerous world, and he didn't have the intimacy that he should have with God. He was out where things were going to kill him now. Things were against him. And he couldn't walk with God in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve's disobedience plunged not just Adam and Eve, but the entire creation into a curse that brought with it brokenness. And when you and I look around, we watch the news, and we look at our own lives, and we hear the doctor's reports and all those things, it all started. The reason for all of it is not because God had this great plan, but he didn't carry through and he failed here. Instead, it's because his creation turned away from him. And today, we know this to be true. People are self-centered. People are insecure. They're discontent. They, they never seem to be content with, with anything. They're, people are weighed down with a never-ending sensation of guilt and shame that leads them to try and cover or hide themselves. And C.S. Lewis wrote about how we try to hide ourselves. And I want to share with you four of these and then give you a couple that I've tacked on. C.S. Lewis talks about the ways that modern people try to hide themselves. One, they compare themselves with others. We say things like, well, at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not like fill in the blank. But the reality is when you and I compare ourselves to one another, we're only looking at the outside. We do not take into to account our heart. The Bible says our heart's desperately wicked. I'm, I'm the worst sinner that I know. C.S. Lewis also said, we hide ourselves, we try to hide ourselves by focusing on the corporate guilt instead of the personal guilt. We say things like, everybody does it. When you get on 85, head toward Greenville, speed limit 60, everybody's going 80 at least, right? Get pulled over and tell that one. C.S. Lewis said, we try to hide ourselves by, by assuming that time cancels our sin. You ever done that? Yeah, I know what I did, but man, it was so long ago. Surely there's like a statute of limitations, and that's over and done with. And that may work among us at times, but not with God. C.S. Lewis said, we, we try to hide ourselves by thinking that there's safety in numbers. And this feeds off that last one. We, we say things like, if everybody's guilty, if everybody has sinned, if everybody's turned away from God, then surely God can't fail us all. I mean, surely in the end, God's going to just say, look, this test must have been too hard, so I'm going to kind of give you a bonus on this one, and uh, I'm going to grade on a curve, and so you all pass. And this is not what God says at all. I just thought about this a little more, and I think we try to hide ourselves also by ignoring the fact that we've turned away and filling our minds and our calendars with entertainment. Ours is, ours is an entertainment-saturated society, and I think the reason for that is because we know there's this nagging question. We're not right with God. We're not right with God. We're broken. We're living in the middle of this brokenness. But we don't want to face that brokenness. Instead, we want to go to Netflix and we want to go to Hulu. 
and you want to go to see Clemson play and Carolina play, Tennessee play, and all those things. I think another way we try to hide ourselves is we, when, when none of that works, we simply say, well, I'll run as hard and fast into my turning away so that I just get so deep in the bushes God can't see me. And the reality is God sees all. The God who made the bushes will not be tricked by you trying to hide in those bushes. People are lonely. They're constantly searching for something that's worthy of their worship. People are going to die. Last time I checked, and I know I'm being a little facetious here, but the mortality rate is still 100. Everybody's going to die. People are dysfunctional in their relationships. How many, how many marriages are a long way from the wedding photographs? They don't know how to relate to their kids, and they live in the same household with these kids, and they don't know how to relate. They, they, they want to give their kids a hug, but they can't any longer because there's just so much distance between People bounce from job to job because they can't get along with people. Trust and intimacy are now broken. Naked and afraid is not just a show on discovery. The reality is we live, every one of us, in a culture that is naked and afraid to be vulnerable. Afraid to show one another who we really are. We go on Facebook and social media and we, we take 16 pictures before we post one. We paint our lives as something that they're not. And in reality, we are we're naked and we're ashamed. We live in a day where there is murder and divorce and scandal and affair. Not only that, but people are spiritually dead. We're born with a sin nature. It's not like we can just go back... Well, that's Adam and Eve. That's not me. Why am I living and broken? It's because of what they did. The reality is, as children of Adam and Eve, we all have that same nature. We're all prone to, to wonder. We're all rebels at heart. We all rebel and turn away in our own thoughts, in our own deeds, and in our own words. We have misplaced affections. We just like them, we make the good things the ultimate thing. We're unable to commune with or to approach God. We don't just have this sin nature. We also sin. We choose to turn away ourselves because we have a nature that is prone to that. Just like a dog barks because it's a dog, we turn away from God because we are children of Adam. Tim Keller wrote, disease, genetic disorders, famine, natural disasters, aging, and death itself are as much the result of sin as are oppression, war, crime, and violence. We have lost God's shalom or peace. We've lost it physically, spiritually, socially, psychologically, and culturally. Culturally, you want to know what's wrong with our world? It's broken. It all goes back to disobedience. 
for the creation to reject God's rule and to turn and say, I will govern myself. So, ending right here. Is there any hope? And are we just, are we just left to, to live in this brokenness until we die and that's it? Is there not any kind of hope at all? Well, the reality is those who are here today who know Christ can answer that question. Absolutely there is hope. But it will not be found in this world. It will be found outside of this world, which means every single thing that you pursue trying to find your identity or trying to complete yourself or trying to fill that hole will leave you wanting. There is hope. And that's why next week I'm going to preach this sermon called Living Rescued. And I implore you to be here. Until then, two things. To the non-Christian, to the one who is not yet a believer here today, if you are acutely aware of your own brokenness, and you say, Pastor, I don't know you, I didn't plan on this today, but man, I know I'm broken, and I don't think I can wait till next week to hear that hope, then talk to one of us. Talk to me today. I will stay as long as that need that I need to stay. Just talk to me. Talk to the person who brought you. Talk to the person who's on your road. If they can't help you and point you to the hope that can be found, then they will help find someone who can. We would love to help you find the hope that is available in Christ alone. To the Christian, until next week and beyond next week, Living on mission means being broken over the brokenness of the people that you encounter every day. Too many times we look at people around us who are broken and we don't want to get dirty or we don't want to get involved because that would be an inconvenience to our entertainment-saturated lives. If we are people who call Christ our Lord... We can no longer look at people as inconveniences. We must look at them as Great Commission opportunities. Not so that we can meet a quota at the end of the month, but because we look at them as someone who God has made to bring glory to himself, and right now they don't know how to do that. They're living in brokenness. So, child of God, Christian here today, live in such a way that you are broken over the brokenness of the people that you encounter. Eric Mason talked about the purpose of brokenness, and this is, I'll close with this. Eric Mason, who pastors in Philadelphia, um, he he talked about the purpose of brokenness in the life of a non-believer and a non-Christian. When they encounter brokenness, God is intentionally allowing them to suffer brokenness so that it opens them up to be able to hear the good news of Christ. And so what that means for, for you and I is, When we encounter broken people, we can assume that God is doing a work in their life and he is preparing them to hear the gospel. Eric Mason went on and he said that the purpose of brokenness in the life of a Christian, because Christians still encounter brokenness, amen? The purpose of brokenness in the life of a Christian is to reveal the treasure that we have inside. Instead of us going, oh, woe is me. Why am I suffering this? Why me? Why me? Why me? Instead, when a Christian encounters brokenness, it is an opportunity for the Spirit of God to empower and work through that person so that that person can say, it is well. 
with my soul. Because Christ lives in me. Greater is he who lives in me than he that is in the world. Amen? We live in brokenness for the glory of our God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the understanding to know where we are and why we are in the predicament that we are. Lord, you didn't have to give us that. You didn't have to be so gracious as to explain. You could have left us in the dark. But God, you haven't. You've told us exactly why we're here. And God, not only that, you have provided the remedy. You have provided the rescue. God, I pray today, Lord, that you might, in the lives of those who are here and even those who are listening to the podcast, I pray, God, that you would work, that you would accomplish your purpose in the midst of and through brokenness so that you might be glorified and that we might find that you are not a God who fails or a God who is evil, but a God who is ultimately good to those who trust you. God, glorify yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.